Looking for a new show to dive into? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time. Like the full season of FX's epic limited series Shogun, FX's new international spy thriller The Veil, starring Emmy and Golden Globe winner Elizabeth Moss. And don't miss the all-new crime series Under the Bridge, inspired by shocking true events and starring Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone. It's all new, and it's streaming now on Hulu. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they, they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff, like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's OMRI certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow. Hey, it's Nick from True Crime Garage, and you're listening to this great show, so you obviously love True Crime Podcast. Well, Stitcher's hosting True Crime Week, where they're showcasing the creepiest and most gruesome true crime podcasts, including ours. Download the Stitcher app and check out their curated homepage to find your next true crime podcast obsession. And don't forget, Stitcher's the only place to listen to our older archive episodes. And if you sign up for Stitcher Premium, you'll get access to our bonus episodes too. So go to stitcherpremium.com and sign up with the code GARAGE and go check out True Crime Week. Welcome to True Crime Garage. Wherever you are, whatever you are doing, thanks for listening. I'm your host, Nick, and with me, as always, is a man who has been sentenced to solitary confinement behind the glass in the garage studio engineer's room. He is our captain. Yeah, so if I'm not making any sense, you know why. And it's good to be seen, and it's good to see you, and I'm telling you, I'm tired of the bologna sandwiches. Thanks for listening, and thanks for telling a friend. Today we are slow sipping with happiness a delicious double porter called Bonfire from Napa Smith. Bonfire is a beautiful black color with a little caramel sweetness with roasted malt flavors that goes down silky smooth garage grade three and three quarter bottle caps out of five. And here we go and give praise and cheers to our good friends. First up, praise and cheers to Anthony in Craig, Colorado. And a big special we I love your Jim. Big thank you. To Michelle in Baltimore, Maryland. Next up we have Mary Bell in Paris, California. And a big cheers to Sarah in Springfield, Illinois. Next up, Captain, we have my man Sean in Boulder, Colorado, who says with each episode he can feel his jib getting bigger. <laughs> and last but certainly not flicky, least. Flicky. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Last but certainly not least, Captain, we have Mark in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Thank you all for contributing to this week's beer fund. If you want to help us out with next week's set of shows, go to truecrimegarage.com. 
click on the donate button or check out the show page and support your local garage true crime podcast yeah and please write to your local congress person to free me <laughs> free me from my solitary confinement save the captain save please <laughs> there's nothing to do everybody's staring at me forget I, about saving the captain I just have no go, pants on just go to itunes and leave us some some stars we need your stars five stars please upon all five of them and that is enough of the business everybody gather around grab a chair grab a beer let's talk some true crime left off yesterday captain they had just found missing ray rivera's body inside the belvedere hotel which is now primarily being used for condominiums and he has crashed through the roof we still do not know for what reason and his lifeless body is found inside the building now ray had multiple injuries including lacerations fractured ribs punctured lungs of course, suggesting that he had fallen from a height into this room. Some of Ray's injuries are stated to be consistent with a fall, while others are stated not to be. And in particular, they cite his tibias being fractured. The medical examiner will go on record saying that this does not seem to be consistent with a fall. That would be your shins. Correct. Mm. Also found... We have Ray's flip-flops that were found on the roof near the hole that he crashed through. One broken and one with fresh drag marks. Ray's glasses are found, and they appear to be in good shape. His cell phone is found. The phone has scratches on it, but it is not broken. It's in working order. Ray's money clip, which was an engraved wedding gift from Allison that... She and his brother say he always carried with him. They do not find this on Ray's person or on the rooftop. Other than that, it seems pretty consistent that what Allison and others believe he would have left with him that day, taken with him when he left the house that day, everything was found on him, with him, or on the rooftop. And I'm assuming they never found the money clip back out of his house or anything. Right. This was not found on him. It's never been located at all. I think it'd be something that would be completely washed away from the story had it been recovered. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the problem with a lot of this is the hole itself and where Ray is found. According to Unsolved Mysteries, there were three possible places from which Ray could have jumped or maybe been pushed. Mm-hmm. from to end up going creating that hole and then crashing down into that unoccupied room 
And for people who haven't seen the episode, I'm going to post all these pictures. There's a bunch of pictures of the actual hotel or condo complex, whatever you want to call it, and a bunch of different angles and a a rooftop view and even some measurements that people have taken. I'll post all of those to our Instagram. That's at True Crime Garage. Follow us on Instagram. This is where it gets difficult that we are simply audio and there's no video to go along with it because I think, you know, we're going to do our best to tell the story and paint the picture for you. Well, people keep requesting audio because you're so handsome, but uh, I keep breaking the camera. Video. Yeah. So as police began to analyze this case, numerous aspects seemed odd about Ray Rivera jumping off of the main roof of the Belvedere Hotel. This is partly due to where the location of the hole is in the lower roof. There was a considerable horizontal distance between the hotel tower and the location of the hole in the lower roof. So I think the way to go about this here, Captain, because we have these three different spots that Unsolved Mysteries says he could have come from to end up going through that hole in the roof. And that's a weird way of saying it, to go through that hole in the roof. It makes it sound like the hole was already there. Right. His, unfortunately, his body created that hole. But I think you have to say it that way because it's really the placement of the hole as far as a distance goes from the surrounding above areas to get to that spot that makes it seem mathematically difficult. Right. And that again is a big part of the mystery of why did he end up there and how did he end up where we found him? So the first one that I think we should discuss would be the parking garage, because this one seems to be the most easily explained away as no, it seems like this is the least likely of these three spots that he could have come from. Yeah, possibly. Right. So the way that this works is that the parking garage, the top of it, is the measurements are about 20 feet higher than the lower roof that he crashed through. And the spot, the hole in the roof, is about 20 feet out. The detective that initially looked at this case, he's on record saying, I don't think that that is a high enough distance to create an impact that one would even kill a man or two would cause him to crash through the ceiling. So I'm going to go with that detective's assessment of, of that, uh, angle there from the top of the parking garage. Let's go with the suicide angle as well. It'd be a pretty far distance for somebody to run and try to jump Yes, it would be, but I think that there would be, okay, so I think that there's a problem with the distance of the upper rooftop of the Belvedere, more so than the distance traveled to make it to that spot on the lower roof from the parking garage. It's only 20 feet out. What he's saying is that if if Ray would have jumped from the parking garage, he likely would have survived the jump. Right. And And let's say... The other problem is he did create a hole in the ceiling and go through. The detective is saying he would have survived it and or not have had a great enough impact to crash through the ceiling. What I've heard, and since we're starting with the parking garage, uh, one idea that I find very interesting or a theory that I find very interesting is, well, could you get there and could you create an impact if the you know, the velocity was stronger than somebody throwing you 
or jumping as maybe he was hit by a vehicle or thrown from a vehicle? That's an interesting question. Because what you have to account to if you go, well, he jumped. Okay, well, do you know how hard it is to jump when you're, both of your shins are broken? I if, in fact, the fall didn't create the break. Well, the doctors are saying they didn't. They say inconsistent. Right. So, which is not the same as impossible. Right. But, again, nothing's impossible. He could have, you know, aliens could have thrown him from the sky for all we know. But I'm going to go with the doctors and say, this injury happened beforehand. Okay, what would hit you around the shins? Well, certain cars' bumpers possibly could hit you. Um, so is it a situation where he's going to meet somebody up, and when he met them up, do they have baseball bats, or did they hit him with a car, and then was he on top of the car, and then they drove him really fast to the edge and hit the brakes? Is that a possibility? It. I mean, you just said aliens could have put him there, so I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how to go about this. There is a wall. I mean, it's not like a straight ledge that you would go off of or that if a vehicle right, right, hit right. you, that you would just be essentially shot out of a cannon and fired to that spot on the roof. So I think it's, I think it gets a little difficult of, okay, you just said that it would be very difficult for him to get there jumping wise, 20 feet out. Mm -hmm. It also seems possibly even more difficult to get, to throw him out that far. Yeah. Like two, two people thrown a six foot five, 260 pound man that does not want to go over a ledge. Yeah. You manage to catapult him out 20 feet. Now I, I get what you're saying about the distance traveled seems to be difficult and everybody agrees with that. The reason why I'm kind of glossing over that and moving to the next part is because the, if he were to go from the rooftop the distance traveled horizontally would be even more. Now, granted, he would have a, a further distance of falling to to get out that far. Mm -hmm. They do say that it's scientifically possible. It's not impossible that he couldn't have got himself all the way out there. So the way that that works is we just talk 20 feet out if he were to jump or get shot or however from the top of the parking garage over to the rooftop where he crashed through the horizontal distance from the roof top all the way up. Mm -hmm. One of the other options is estimated at 40 to 43 feet. So almost double the distance. Correct. So they brought in some engineers to see if this is even possible. And they estimate that somebody traveling at a speed of 10 or 11 miles per hour could in fact make it all the way out that far. Now you have to factor in a few different things, right? One, could he even get up to a speed on foot of 10 to 11 miles per hour? Most people put that as a fast jog or sprint mm -hmm. for the average fit male. This would be, you know, again, wearing sports shoes. This guy's wearing flip-flops. One of them ends up broken. But yeah, it's it's estimated that somebody could get up to that speed. Well, they could have been in his hand. Yes. And so he could have just ran barefoot. But again, then anytime you factor in that this is suicide, I guess, 
you have to then again assume that the fall shattered his shins. I don't know. And I, I think they were talking a lot about that there's not a lot of access to that roof, so that would be hard for him to even get access. So what we have here is with the other two locations, again, the parking garage aside, because it doesn't seem that that would have killed Ray. Right. But the other location would be from the ele- from the 11th floor ledge of the Belvedere Hotel. Now, this spot seems to make a little more sense because it puts him much closer to the hole in the rooftop below. Yeah. And it's enough distance that he could have ran. So whatever speed he would have to get up to to make that distance, he could have done. Yeah. And again, I he wouldn't have had to make it out that far of a distance. That's why this spot seems to make a little more sense as far as the math goes. The problem with the 11th floor ledge, and we say ledge, but I mean, you see this on Unsolved Mysteries and yeah, they're, they're kind of quick to say, Hey, it'd be difficult to, to, to walk along that ledge. It actually looked like a pretty, <laughs> a pretty decent sized ledge to me. Mm-hmm. As you pointed out, the problem with the 11th floor ledge and getting to the top of the Belvedere itself is that we don't have anybody who has ever reported to have seen Ray Rivera in the building that night. Yeah. And where's the cameras? You'd think, you know, this is a hotel that turns into condos. They would have some security. You you know a lot about this. I mean, you worked in a high rise condo facility for a, a while. Yeah. I worked in a building that would be the general description would be the same as what we're talking about here, the Belvedere hotel, high yeah. rise condominiums, downtown. And you guys had a, a lot city. of cameras. We had a ton of cameras. I guess the major difference here would be that the building I worked in was built in the late nineties. And as we discussed, this building was built in the early 1900s. Right. Now, of course you come in and you put in those cameras much later. They didn't have security cameras when the building was built, obviously, we don't have anybody that says that they saw Ray Rivera in the building prior to finding him dead in the portion of the building below. Mm-hmm. One major problem with that captain is the 11th floor ledge that he would have had to get to. This is privately owned condos. This is not just like some, some space inside the building where people can get to. Well, I'd like to know if any of them are connected to his old work. That is the major question. I think that is the big question that is missing from the Unsolved Mysteries presentation as well as anything else that I could find. Because the times that I worked in in these types of, of living situations, it was very common for individuals to live in the residential tower and work at buildings within walking distance of the residential tower. These are typically fairly well-to-do people that are working downtown and they're living and paying that higher cost of living to live there so that they don't have to commute in and out of the city Mm -hmm. that they can, you know what? Oh, it's a nice day. I think I'll just cross the street and go up to the 10th floor to my office. The 11th floor has condos that are owned by individuals. He would have had to have had access by one of those individuals somehow to get out to the ledge. And then the weirder part is nobody's coming forward saying, yeah, he, he committed suicide right outside my window. Yeah. But it could have been like a forced jump situation. 
either they're attacking him within a room and he went to escape and this is what happened or it was look buddy you're going to go off that ledge and jump for it and if you don't we're going to kill your wife mm-hmm. you know it could have been that kind of situation it doesn't he could have jumped and it still could have been murder i mean i think he could have made that distance i still question injuries to his shin Mm-hmm. But then I also question, is, were they, was he being beat up by anybody? Was he possibly hit with something? Was there po- possible fractures and not not breaks until the actual jump, if that makes any sense? Right. If he's trying to escape or there's injuries that they can't account for because of the, because of the fall or going through the roof, are those because he was being attacked by somebody. So you brought up the security cameras. And one thing that really upset me when I first started looking into this case is, is just what upset me when we talked about Jennifer Kessie's case or, you know, be it a a hotel in downtown Chicago. We've covered cases that, that have that going on. And anytime that we have Swanson, right? Brandon Swanson. No, he was out in the middle of Jesse Ross, Kanika Jenkins. And I mean, there's a, there's a, a good long list of cases that we've discussed that have security cameras involved. And one thing that upset me in some of those cases is that they have no camera footage yet. They have the cameras as fixtures on and inside the buildings. This is a situation where we don't have any camera footage as well. Now on the surface, most of the reports out there state the same thing that they were the, the camera was disconnected or there was a glitch in the system. That sounds very suspicious. Almost like, oh, we knew we were going to kill him. We knew we were going to throw him off the side of this building. Let's make it so the cameras are not working. After some more digging, what I found was that it was a simple case of, remember, he wasn't found very quickly. He was missing for a, a week. The way this was all digitized, So the program was set up to record over its old footage at some point. Mm. And because they had, they found him within a day, 24 hours, 48 hours, whenever they likely would have had some kind of footage of what was going on. And we would have a whole, very likely a whole different story to tell here in the garage today. But the way that I understand this, Captain, is that it was because he wasn't found for a certain amount of time, that be a, a week or a little over a week, that the the footage was set up, it was predetermined to record over itself, and therefore whatever it captured is just completely lost. Right. So that's just, it's it's unfortunate. And I will say this, you know, because I saw the question come up that says, well, this is just a shame you know, I could understand it had he been missing for two weeks, three weeks, or four weeks, or a month that they would have recorded over top of it. It's very common in in most of the situations I've worked in that the footage is recorded over within a week of itself. Yeah, because normally if there's a crime, police are pretty quick to go around and collect any footage. Now, at the places that I've worked, Captain, where there's an abundance of security and security mm-hmm. officers, mm-hmm. what we would do is actually have someone view the footage before we would before we would record over it. 
Now, mind you, the person is viewing it at four times, eight times, 16 times the speed. You're really just looking for anything blatantly obvious of something wrong going on. Yeah, Bigfoot. Exactly. I mean, you can't, it'd be difficult to pay somebody to sit there and watch days and days and days of footage every time you record over it. So I went from being pretty upset because the the thing that I pointed out in Jennifer Kessie's case, along with a lot of these other cases, if you're paying to live there, that's one of the things that's built into your homeowner's fees, to your condo fees, is that they are selling you peace of mind. They are selling you that you live in a secure building. Okay, so just to go over this real quick. So the parking garage, like I said, I heard the theory about him getting hit by a car and maybe the car launched him. But like you said, there's a wall. There's all these factors. Is it possible? I don't know. If you tried it a hundred times, maybe one out of a hundred it could happen. Mm-hmm. But doesn't seem likely. And would that be enough force to send him through this roof? The problem also with the roof is we just don't know for certain because he's also a, like you said, he's a tall guy. He's a, a heavier guy. At what height is that possible? So even though I like that theory, I don't think it's likely. So the parking garage for me just doesn't seem like the most plausible. Right. But then even less likely to get to the top of this facility and to jump off or to be pushed off, it doesn't seem like it's that probable. It seems like he would have to be doing a lot of traveling through the air. And because it's so much higher up, it seems like maybe there would be more damage to the body. And then it doesn't make a lot of sense with the cell phone and the flip-flops being found on top of the roof at that height. Now, if you go down lower, like you were saying, this other ledge, but he'd have to have access through one of the private rooms or private condos but it does seem possible that that that's more likely to me that that ledge would be where he came from and now with the flip-flops and the phone now hear me out that could be wrong i've always thought well that seems like maybe that afterwards may did somebody go to the garage get onto the roof of the building, walk across and look down to see, to make sure he's dead. Right. Mm-hmm. And then did they leave those items behind or is it possible those items were in his hands? And once he hit the roof, he then loses control of them. And now they're only falling you know, a couple feet, if that makes sense, as he's going through the roof. Yeah, so the way that I've always kind of thought about this, and I thought, look, the the flip-flops, the eyeglasses, the, the cell phone to me is not such a big mystery because as our cell phones have gotten smarter and more sophisticated, they seem to have gotten more fragile over the years. His cell phone is kind of a plasticky cell phone that I think could take what do they say? Take a licking and keep on ticking? That's what she said. I could see the cell phone surviving that fall. The eyeglasses seem a bit strange to me. But the, oh, yeah, because there's a, the eyeglasses are also on the roof as well. So the people that discredit 
anybody saying that he could have come off of the parking garage or off of either of those places of the Belvedere rooftop. They say, well, maybe he was pushed out of a helicopter, which I'm not going to lie to you. That mathematically makes some sense because he's then just dropping straight down. Right. But what eyewitness do we have of a helicopter being in the area? Well, not only that, then you have a problem here. Like, is he, if he's dropped out of a helicopter, pushed out of a helicopter, he's forced out under that manner. Is he, is he just holding these items? Because people say, well, maybe these items were staged to be there in that location. And I look, the problem is if you force him off of the ledge at any of these three locations or force him out of a helicopter, then you have to figure out a way to magically place these items so that they fall right near the hole of the roof. That seems difficult, not impossible, but it seems unlikely. Okay. Go back. So what you're saying is if he jumps or you force him out, that if he was holding these items, if he doesn't have them on his person, right? Because there are people that say, well, maybe these items were staged that, Oh, you know, I got to I got to get rid of his belongings now and I want to put them near where they're going to find his body. Right. It wouldn't be that hard for them to go to the garage and walk on the roof and just place them down. But that's what I want to know. I want to know when they say these items were found near the hole in the roof, what is that distance? Right. Because if they're saying that they're found within 6 inches of that 40-inch diameter hole, that's pretty damn close. Yeah, and I also if they're found just on some, you know, anywhere on the rooftop, then then whatever. Anybody could have just tossed them from anywhere and they landed there. Well, I'd also want to know, like we have the flip flops, the glasses, the cell phone that we find on the roof. Do we find other items that are around his person in the room? No. It it seems like the, the only things that were that were reported to be questionable were these items that were found on the roof itself before he crashed through. Do you want to set your child up for success? Of course you do. That's why you need to check out IXL Learning today. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. There's one site for all kids in your home pre-K to 12th grade. Kids could use it at home on their computer or on an app on your phone or a tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything for you. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. I love recommending IXL learning. Kids can learn at home or on the go. And all my friends and family that are using it Absolutely love it because it's so easy to set up and so easy to use. And even the kids that I've recommended it to their parents have told me, hey, Captain, thank you. I was having problems in math and my parents couldn't help me, 
but IXL could. Do you want to get your kids back on track, or do you just want to get your kids ahead? Do so with IXL Learning. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And True Crime Garage listeners get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when you sign up today at IXL.com slash garage. Visit IXL.com slash garage to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Check out IXL.com slash garage today. The best part of spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. It's kind of like when you find out that you've been paying a fortune for wireless. When Mint Mobile has phone plans for $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all of your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. Save a lot of money with Mint Mobile. Get their great mobile wireless service delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. That's premium service at a great price. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash TCG. That's mintmobile.com slash TCG. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash TCG. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef-crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factor's fresh, never-frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you'll always have time to enjoy nutritious, great-tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you'll always have new flavors to explore. Crush your wellness goals this May with dietitian approved meals and ingredients that you can trust. Make your day delicious from breakfast to dessert. Stay fueled with easy, nutritious options. Treat yourself to restaurant-quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. I am new to Factor, and I have been loving every minute of it. I have a problem, and it's called lunch. Some days I need a pack of lunch, and some days I work from home. Whether I'm at home or whether I'm on the go, Factor is fueling my lunch from now on. Head to factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 and use code truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code truecrimegarage50 at factormeals.com slash truecrimegarage50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active.
All right. Cheers, you animals. True crime animals. True crime animals. All right. We have a note to talk about here, Captain. And this is a weird one and certainly one of the more weird aspects of this entire case, in my opinion. And that is that a note was found taped to the back of Ray Rivera's computer. And the way that this is described was that Angel, his brother, and Allison, his wife, found this note taped to the back of his computer after Ray disappeared. Yeah, but it's it was almost like he took a bunch of pages and shrunk them down into one. Yeah, the description I would provide for this note, for those who have not seen it, it appears that it's printed off on his computer, and it looks like it's three different columns, and that he put it in the smallest font he possibly could to fit all three columns, which in themselves selves would be three different pages mm-hmm. on one single page. And then he seems to have gone around and cut the edges, the blank edges off of the paper to make the paper itself even smaller and then folds it up and puts it into a plastic bag or some form of plastic and tapes it to the back of his computer. Now, you know, there's a lot of things that you can question in this case. And this note is very bizarre. I I really do not know how to take this note or how to feel about it. I will say that the, the things that were written on the note itself, it does appear to me for as an outsider looking in that this was authored by Ray mm-hmm. and Allison would go on to tell us that she believes that it was, it was written and printed the day that he went missing because she found the cutaway edges of the piece of paper in the trash can. But again, this note folded up and taped to the back of the computer. And we should also mention that along with the note, there was, they found a blank check from his video production company. Now the general description of this note is that it is a confusing note that included the names of prominent figures in Hollywood, Freemasonry quotations and additional ramblings. The FBI analyzed this note, and according to the retired detective interviewed on Unsolved Mysteries, the he says the FBI ruled that the note was not suicidal in nature. I have seen it noted that the FBI may have deemed the note to be the delusional ramblings of someone in the throes of a psychotic break. I think there's a lot of people that keep notes to themselves. Like, you know, I have notes that I put in my phone. That if you saw them, you'd be like, what What the heck is this? One of them is just like a list of song titles. So if you went through the list and you start going, um, you know, Lonely Forever, the next song, Zombie Pills, you would start reading the list going, what the heck is this? This, this sounds like he lost his mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the location of where they find the note adds to the mystery of it because now this man mysteriously disappears. His wife says that she cannot explain nor understand his death. And then we have this note that's taped to the back of his computer screen. I get what you're saying. And that's what my mind immediately went to in my own personal life of, of notes that I take 
be it on my computer, in my phone, on scraps of paper, in notebooks. But that's in notebooks and on scraps of paper. You know what I mean? It's like if you bury it in the backyard and it's later found or you put it up in your attic or tape it to your ceiling or behind your computer screen, it takes on a different meaning Yeah, in some way. It's like, why, why did he go to the effort to print it in this manner, trim away the edges, cover it up in plastic, include a blank check with it, and then tape it to the back of the computer? It's, it's one of those weird things where it's like, did, did he do that because he wanted it to be found, but not so easily found? And if it is just the ramblings of a creative mind who's saving ideas or creating ideas and, and, and logging them for later use, it also, again, it seems like a strange place to... Yeah, but there's also a section where it's a list of a bunch of people he knew as well. Well, I think we should probably go through what is believed to be on this letter. Yeah, and we'll say that because if you're looking, I'll post a couple of the pictures that I found online but it's but all you're seeing is like the 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 note from a distance and like nick was saying the 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 font is so small that you can't even make out anything so it's kind of interesting because this case I've talked about was on unsolved mysteries was requested so highly from the listeners for us to go over it as well and there's really normally a, a famous note like this it would be all over the internet and and be documented and and diagrammed out. Don't you kind of question the note even more because they've chosen not to do that? Yeah, that's a good point. It seems a bit weird that, that Allison, look, and she is very level-headed because I've seen interviews with her where she says, all I'm asking is that this be looked at and that people investigate his death because- I think we've we've gone through so much minutia in this case that we probably forgot to mention that the police deemed this to be a suicide. They they say we don't have all the answers, but they say what we have found, we don't have any reason to believe that anything other than suicide took place here. Well, and back to his wife, Allison, uh, very smart. You can tell she's very intelligent. So, but why wouldn't she want to put out the note? Right. And her exact words from an interview that I saw with her, she says, all I'm asking is that people take another look at this, that police and investigators take another look at this for the, for my sake and for the family's sake and for uh, Ray's sake. And she's saying, look, if you decide upon further investigation that it was in fact suicide, I'm fine with that. I just want to feel good and have some peace of mind about the answers I'm getting. And she does not have that right now. Well, and I, so then that makes me sorry to cut you off, but it makes me question it further. Then why is this note not more readily available? Right? Mm-hmm. Because you can't, I can't find it anywhere. And you're good at computers and you normally find it. What I can find is pictures of this note. And mm-hmm. what I can find ha- are people who have tried to transcribe the note best they can from blurry images of the note Mm -hmm. or by watching unsolved mysteries and hitting pause on the screen and trying to make out what they see there. So when we go through what this note says, keep in mind, we, we can't say 100% that this is in fact the exact words word for word of what the note says. Well, I was just going to say a lot of people are very quick to rule out a possible suicide. We have an individual that moved him and his wife across the country for opportunity that obviously didn't work out. Or maybe he felt like he 
didn't let the situation work out because it wasn't a good fit for him. And then he was doing some other stuff. But when you have to start a company by borrowing a bunch of money, one of the number one reasons for suicide, especially in males, is financial. So it's just not out of the realm of possibilities when people say, oh, well, my brother would never do that, or my friend would never do that, or my husband would never do that. That happens a lot of times in in suicides, you know, sadly enough. But it's not out of the realm of possibility. Captain, I'm going to go through this letter a little bit, and I'm not going to necessarily go through every single word because people can look this up and I think that if we really tried to analyze this down to every sentence and every word we would be doing another four or five episodes on Ray's case I'm I'm down so again this is what people have interpreted this letter to say brothers and sisters right now around the world volcanoes are erupting what an awesome sight Then next we have a Masonic quote, again, more of the Freemason stuff. And then that's followed by, that was a well-played game. Congratulations to all who participated. I hope you enjoyed it. But it is time to wake up. So here I am. I'd like to welcome those who accepted our invitations for membership during the game. We couldn't have done it without you. I took on this endeavor to find the truth but not for its own sake in accepting this quest for truth. I hoped to make myself with the help of others into a man worthy and ready to receive it. Members of the council, please note that I will lend careful consideration to the tradition response, traditional responsibilities in light of these proceedings. And I will satisfy the standard request of this council within the appropriate time. Again, well done to all who participated I expect the council has invited all the players who have gave their lives to this pursuit back so they might join us here. Again, we we have no idea what he could be talking about. Join us here. Join us where? Well, and it could because he writes scripts. It could be just uh, jotting down an idea for a monologue in a movie. Yeah, and it goes on to say something like, before I continue with my instructions for the council and claim the prize for my service, I'd like to allow Porter Stansberry to claim his prize. The next couple sentences, it's not clear. A lot of the words are kind of missing. I'm going to jump over that a little bit. But at some point, it's thought that he's saying something to the effect of, now that the game is finished, I expect the council to blank. Most people think he's saying reward. Those who have given what might be time and talent to this venture along with myself, these players should be made five years younger by the council. And then it's a long list of names and you can actually, you can find this in two versions. You can find a small blurry version or you can find a bigger version where the last names are redacted, but it's a long list of names. Mm -hmm. Anything, any thoughts so far on what we've gone through now? Keep going. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offer up some of mine right here because I don't know what this council is that he's talking about. But he keeps referencing the game. Right. It seems a little weird to me that he is... There seems to be some kind of prize or reward 
that should be given to himself and to these other people. And one thing that I find very interesting is that the reward that he is saying that these people should get is to be made five years younger by the council. Mm-hmm. Meaning the, the list of names that follow that, because it is a reward, these must be people that he deems to be good people or deserving of a reward. And going through this list, one name that I did find on there is Frank Stansberry, which we said at the beginning of yesterday's episode that his friend, his longtime friend's name is Frank Porter Stansberry. So again, kind of going back to the idea that a lot of people are suspicious of this Porter guy, but if, if he is in fact referencing his friend, Frank Porter Stansberry as Frank Stansberry in this portion of the letter, it's almost like Ray is saying he's a good guy. He's deserving of some type of reward for his effort, for his time, for his talents, for his good deeds, maybe. But then where that becomes a problem is several times in this same note or letter, whatever you want to call it, he refers to this man as Porter Stansberry. So then you have to wonder, is is Frank Porter Stansberry's father, does he have the same name? And is Ray then rewarding somebody else? You know, why would you refer to somebody a couple of times as Porter Stansberry, but then later as Frank Stansberry? Yeah, well, what's also weird, because he, he lists the the game as in the section where he's listing movies. The That's the, <clears throat> I believe it's David Fincher. Mm-hmm. Uh, the David Fincher movie. And, but what's weird is, and this I think has been kind of blown up through Reddit is the main character in the game dies in a similar fashion. Michael Douglas. Uh, he, he dies from, um, jumping from the roof of the building through a glass ceiling. Yeah. It's been a long time since I've seen that movie. Um, 1997. I actually recall the movie different than that, that there is several scenes of somebody committing suicide by jumping off of a rooftop. I don't recall it being, who is that? Michael Douglas or John Douglas? I get the two father and son confused. I think it's Michael. Yeah. So a lot of people have referenced that. Is he talking about the game? And then they take it a step further of, was somebody playing a game on him? Was he involved in some kind of game? Well, the idea is in 1997, the film follows a man uh, who participates in a scheme which blurs his concept of reality and ends with him jumping from the roof of a building through a glass ceiling. So in the movie, he's like extremely wealthy. And it's what do you give the man who has everything for his birthday? You give him an experience. And the experience right. is given to him, I believe, by his brother, which then drives him to insanity because it's just, it's, <laughs> it's, it's an insane movie, really. I actually feel like if we are going to put meaning to these words and try to decipher what he, what he means here, mm-hmm. I almost feel like the game, it's like he's referencing his life and life being a game. Right. And And so that's where I think it's weird that the FBI, again, we're not hearing this from the FBI. We're hearing it from a retired detective who says the FBI said they don't believe the note to be suicidal in nature. I actually go the opposite way. And I'm, I'm of course no expert, but 
I go the opposite way, and I see a note here that looks to me. Well, how many shows do you have to do until we start just calling you an expert? It looks to me like they're like it is suicidal in nature. But it's it, like I could see that. You know what I mean? It's like he's thanking the people that were involved in his game, and and the game being his life. And I I wonder is there something a major event that we are unaware of that took place within a few years or up to five years before raise death because the the choosing of these players should be made five years younger by the council seems awfully specific it's a very strange line right did did he lose his father did he lose somebody important to him Mm -hmm. one one quote that i love and this is an old george clooney quote is that the greatest gift that we can give the ones that we love is time and i find that to be such an interesting quote because it's coming from somebody who's pretty darn wealthy and could give anybody that he wants a bunch of money and he's right time is one hell of a gift and here we got ray referencing not that quote but he states something very similar with a long list of people that he obviously cares about because the people that are included at the top of this list we have his brother his father his mother his wife his sister so these are clearly people that he is listing that he loves that he says he believes deserves some type of reward for their participation in their time in the game. He goes on to list a whole bunch of like inventions and innovations mm-hmm. that came about since his be- since his game began. And then he goes on into some weird business about the patents and proceeds from all of these items that he lists should somehow be transferred to him. And he references several different homes in different countries and continents that he can be found in at some point. And after that, it's another list of movies that he, that he really likes saying, I would love to meet any of you who helped contribute to these works. And he lists many movies, all of them, you know, they're, they're interesting movies, not just the game, but you have seven and national treasure, the Da Vinci code, the matrix one, two, and three, so on and so forth in a specific reference to M night Shyamalan mm. old Shyamalan. And then he goes on to say, I'd also like to single out and there's a, in the name of somebody again, we have Porter, his name referenced a couple of times in this letter. And I really can't make heads or tails of this letter. Captain. I don't. And I think that that this letter makes this story that much more confusing in the case that much more confusing because what is this letter in itself? Well, and like we said, let, let's just hy- hypothetically say the, the Freemason stuff, or he started doing research for ideas for screenplays. People that are creative can get wrapped up into that. And we have evidence of maybe that turning into reality by not wanting his wife to, you know, go somewhere thinks people are breaking into his house or or at least alarms going off in his house is it possible there was something going on with inside his brain that his friends and family just weren't aware of and that's why i keep going back to this idea of if he is truly afraid of something why is he not telling people in his life even on the dl look i'm worried about this situation I'm specifically worried about this whole thing right here. 
especially his wife, who he seems to be concerned of her safety as well. And then this note is left. But what is the, what is the purpose of this note? Is it, is it meant to be a warning? I, I that's yeah. what I'm, I'm getting at. It's not obvious that it's a suicide note. That's clear. Well, and there's a lot of actors that have done big movies and then those movies are connected to the FBI or the CIA. And then there's a lot of conspiracy theorists that go, Oh, well see, um, they had Matt Damon do the born Jason Bourne movies and then they bring him into the fold. And so he actually is a government agent now. And there's all weird conspiracies of that nature. And I just wonder, all these notes are, again, for some big movie. And he's referencing all these movies he likes and wants, and wants to be inspired by this list of movies. And here's all these actors that he thinks could play in the movies that would understand the inner workings of a movie that was based around the Freemasons or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like you could compile this whole thing. That seems like a crazy thing and just go, this is a web when you're trying to create something as big as a movie. You're, you're thinking about characters. You're thinking about their backstory. You're thinking about monologues that could be said in the movie. You're thinking about sets and tones and, and it could just be a list of uh, movies that he likes the tone in them. You know, if you watch a, you know, Goodwill Hunting, for example, and you realize Gus Van Zant uses it's all like autumn colors. The whole movie is is the list of movies just s- stuff he likes about the way it was shot or the directors. If you put it in that context, it's like, well, it all makes sense. It could just be research for a movie. Right. And I think that's why what I'm trying to get at here is that the people that point out that this letter means something. I put a big question mark on that. It very likely could mean nothing at all, as you're pointing out. Or how do we go and look at this and go, oh, of course, he knew that somebody was going to kill him or he knew that he was in deep trouble. And so he left this cryptic letter, taped it to the back of his computer as a warning to everybody else or as a, Hey, this is what happened to me, but nobody can figure out or make heads or tails of this letter. So it didn't, if, if that was the purpose of it, it, he didn't do a very good job of, of explaining that to anybody. You see what I mean? Like it, it, Mm -hmm. it to argue that this letter is proof that he was in trouble and people were after him. I think that's a hard argument to make when it's not a clear it's not a clear warning and it's not a clear arrow pointing to who did him harm. Yeah. And, and again, this is, I mean, it sounds like a crazy theory, but I don't know the character of Ray cause I wasn't friends with him. They didn't show like a bunch of clips of this guy. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Was he a gullible guy or not? Is it possible that he moves out here is not connecting well with friends and he's a little gullible and he's talking about some movie he wants to make some conspiracy movie. And then his friends decide to play a trick on him. It just like the game, right? I don't understand why his friend, uh, backed away like he did. It seems like if it was suicidal or if he thought that there was something going on with his friend mentally, 
that he would have stuck around and answered as many questions as possible. I also think that if it was suicide, that maybe this letter is kind of a cryptic way of leaving some kind of note. But again, it's just not obvious. So either there was no intent or with this letter itself, or it just, it's lost on us. If you're going to point to this letter and then, then say this letter points more towards suicide. That's when I say, I think this letter points more towards there was some kind of psychotic break in this young man and he lost it and he chose to take his life when his wife was not in town. People, people have said, well, he would have had to have known that Belvedere hotel, he would have had to have some kind of understanding and he wouldn't have because he was not from there. He was from out of town. And I, that's where I take it a step further and I go, well, I don't know that, that that is the case. I mean, I think a big problem with this mystery is that it, t- it was so long between the time he went missing to the time that he was found. Mm-hmm. If he chose to take his own life and chose to purposely not do that at his home so that his poor wife wouldn't then later find his body, maybe he thought he was jumping into a place that would put him in, you know, right out there for somebody to find him almost immediately. So she wouldn't have to come home and find him. But he just didn't know that building and didn't know that he was landing and crashing through into a a space that was, for the most part, unused. Right, right. Or or didn't assume he would go through the roof. Yeah. Did, Did he... Did he make a make did he make a mistake and think that he was going to land on the street? Yeah. I do want to go through something else here here captain real quick. And this is from the Baltimore Sun newspaper Thursday August 6th of this year. And this is in response to the release of the Ray Rivera episode on unsolved mysteries. And I'm just going to read a few selected paragraphs from this, but I ask that you bear with me. This article includes an interview with Porter Stansberry, as well as an interview with the author that wrote the book about the unexplained death, the body at the Belvedere. But it also includes a second friend of Ray's and his name is Brad Hopman, who said that he knew Ray Rivera since childhood and remained close with him up to his death. He also believes the story has been twisted Quote, this is a real conversation the world can have about mental illness and help people get help when they need it. End quote. He goes on to say, and it turned out, it turned into a murder mystery where they're accusing people of being involved. Later in the article, Stansberry says he has received death threats and his family has been harassed online. He said he's even been questioned by friends and potential business partners. Stansberry says, quote, it's horrific. You can't even imagine what it's like to tell people I had nothing to do with my friend's death. And then we have when Ray Rivera went missing, Stansberry said he hired a private investigator, offered a reward and personally helped look for Rivera. Once the body was found, Stansberry said, we were all sad and shocked by the fact that Ray killed himself. But once we saw all the facts and his financial pressures, It wasn't much of a mystery. In the show, retired Baltimore homicide detective Michael Bear 
and Rivera's wife say that after Rivera's body was found, Stansberry refused to return calls from investigators and put out a, quote, gag order on employees to keep them from talking. Stansberry says, quote, it's a complete lie. It's not a matter of opinion. It's a lie. He said only that employees were told to refer media inquiries to a spokesperson. Right, which you've said is very common. He said he personally spoke with a detective on June 23rd, 2006. So where this gets a little convoluted is, remember, this is after Detective Bear was moved to another division. So on Unsolved Mysteries, Detective Bear saying, this man Stansberry wouldn't talk to me. Stansberry saying, I did speak to a detective. It was just a different detective. Right. Bear was moved and it's not any type of conspiracy because bear did. He, he says, look, I did not agree with the police findings that this was suicide. And I think there's a good amount of questions here. So I applaud him for going the extra mile to really get to the bottom of this, but it's not a conspiracy that he went against the grain and got moved to another division he requested to be moved to this new task force that had formed. And the way that those things generally work is you apply for a position or a department change, and it takes some time for that to go in effect. So he gets moved. Now we have later in the article where Allison Rivera has said the call came from, this is the, the last phone call. The call came from the switchboard of Agora Publishing, and the specific caller could not be determined. Agora, a global publishing company headquartered in Baltimore, has several subsidiary companies, including Stansberry's, and at the time, all calls were routed through a main switchboard. A police spokeswoman on Tuesday, this would have been August 4th of this year, said the call came from an owned subsidiary company of Agora Publishing. So, when you read reports that say it came from Stansberry and associates, that's not what the police's position is publicly on this. They're not saying it didn't come from Stansberry associates. They're just saying it came from a subsidiary of this parent company. Mm -hmm. So his friend talks to law enforcement. He gets a detective to look for his friend. He puts up a award. Now you have this other friend coming out saying that Ray had some mental issues, mental health issues, but couldn't he still figure out who made the call to Ray and what that call was about? Yeah. Because so I, I also think when he talks about these financial pressures, he would know more than anybody because he's the one that had his friend come out there. And so he gets there and it's not working out, but was it not working out even more than we're led on to believe? Because we, we also don't have records and or statements of all, there was all this credit card debt and there were student loans and there was the house, they were upside down on the mortgage. We just don't have any reports of that. Right. We Again, we just have this Stansberry character saying this publicly all these years later. They haven't been in their house very long, so I couldn't imagine that they had much in the way of equity. And I've seen many references to Allison's and Ray's financials online. Mm -hmm. I don't know where that those statements and reports are coming from, so I don't care to bother to report them here because it could just be some, some twerp in his basement typing that up and putting it out as fact. 
Mm-hmm. I haven't seen it published anywhere by anybody that's credible. The article, though, cites a lot of really interesting things. And if if I can, I'll continue here. If you'll allow me, I'll continue a little bit longer. It says Stansberry said that Ray Rivera had also asked him previously if he had if he was in leadership of the Freemasons, which Stansberry said he thought was a joke. He said when Rivera's family and friends were searching for him, Rivera's wife told him that the Saturday before he went missing, Ray was morose and would not get out of bed. She told me she was very worried about his mental state at the time he disappeared. Stansberry said, quote, I'm not the only friend Ray approached and said these things that were very odd. Now, back to the other friend, the second friend that we referenced earlier, Brad Hopman, Ray's childhood friend, said not long before his death, Ray repeatedly asked him about being a member of the Freemasons and discussing the film Eyes Wide Shut. Hopman, who also worked for Stansberry at one time, but says they were not close, said the week before his death, Rivera asked to be able to visit his top floor apartment in the Jersey city in Jersey city. Rivera had a key to the place, but then returned it said, quote, he was acting really, really weird. That is a quote from Brad Hopman in a separate interview that I read with employees and people that worked with this Porter Stansberry. Yeah. They said that it was pretty common for Porter, who, as you pointed out earlier, is pretty successful. It was pretty standard practice for him to hire people that necessarily didn't have a background for the position that he was offering them, but they were people that he knew for most of his life. Right. And that it was people that he trusted. You know, he needed to put these people in a position of trust where where they would have his back, he would have theirs, and therefore he valued that trust level more than them being educated or experienced in that specific area of work. Right. One thing that I found really interesting, and this goes along with some of the opinions, be it yours and mine that we have shared throughout the years in regards to the Brian Schaefer case. Listen closely. Brotman. Remember Brotman is the author of the 2018 book about Rivera's death. She was a resident of the Belvedere. She said that the Netflix show interviewed her for hours and that she told them the roof was easily accessible, not at all difficult to task to reach as the show asserted Mm -hmm. in her book. She explores the various theories and concludes that Rivera likely had a mental break and jumped from the roof. She says, quote, I think If they'd included my interviews, it would have closed down a lot of the speculation because it would have been obvious that a lot of avenues and angles had already been explored at length. End quote. Stansberry said the case is being sensationalized. Quote, I think what's really sad about this is there are people in Hollywood who would do anything to craft a story to get attention, even when it comes to destroying someone's reputation and trying to sensationalize the tragedy of a death of a 32-year-old man, end quote. I find that awfully interesting that we have the woman that wrote a book about this case <laughs> that lives in the building mm-hmm. and says, you know what, I, 
I, she's saying they kind of conveniently left out my interviews because I was saying it was easy for someone to access the roof. Well, just like I've told you when I went and interviewed all those security guards at the ugly tuna and they go, of course there's blind spots and he could have got out of here without being on camera. Yeah. And you go, well, why has it been reported for the last five years or 10 years or whatever that it was impossible? It's because it makes it a better story. It's a little more juicy. So you have here a situation. And one thing I want to point out too, remember we said that when they, when they transferred the Belvedere hotel, when it went from being a hotel to being renovated into condominiums, hotel, motel, that there were still some portions of the building that were not privately owned. You know, these are common spaces and some spaces that were in fact open to the public. Right. The Belvedere hotel, as it's oddly called, even all these years later, has a space that is called the 13th floor. Well, it's kind of a famous bar. So it's open to the public for people to go up all the way up to be at the 13th floor and have some cocktails and drinks up there. Mm-hmm. Well, that's not too many floors far away from either the top or the 11th floor ledge where it's believed that he would have had to have jumped. Mm-hmm. So I think it's it's a weird situation of what the story is kind of missing that we're hoping to fill in here is that one, yes, the rooftop and the ledge were probably more likely accessible than what we have a standard, you know, than what we have an understanding of so far. So what it sounds like here, captain, is that the areas where he possibly could have jumped from were easily accessible. Mm-hmm that there is a reasonable explanation why the security footage does not exist to this day. And we have engineers who say that it is physically and mathematically possible for somebody to make it out that far horizontally if they're traveling at a speed that is is easily attained by a man who's in good physical condition. Mm-hmm. So I rule on the side and well, I lean on the side of suicide here, unfortunately with Ray Rivera's case, the question I still have at the end of the day, even with these answers that we've tried to provide is why do we have a situation where no one has ever come forward and said, I was the person that called Ray on that day that he disappeared. I think one of the reasons why people have a hard time believing this is suicide is because there wasn't a lot of signs of depression. And so normally when people think of suicides, they think of that the individual was depressed. Again, is it possible that he was having some kind of mental break and not seeing things as clearly as he once did? Whatever happened to Ray was obviously very tragic, and it's a horrible story to have to tell. It's a horrible case to have to try to sift through and make heads or tails of what possibly happened to this young man who had his whole life ahead of him. And as said, was loved by everyone around him. Again, captain, my question goes to if these other persons who are saying, we believe this was a suicide, we're backing the police's theory of suicide. This is what was going on in Ray's life at the time. And it's a sad situation that we cannot have a discussion about mental health, about mental illness, and work toward helping people. Again, why do we not have 
the person coming forward and saying, I was the person that called Ray that afternoon on May 16th. Seems like everybody has an opinion or a theory about this case. If you have one, go to truecrimegarage.com and leave that for us on the blog. Colonel, do we have any recommended reading for this week? Let's do some recommended listening there, Captain. It's a good week, I think, to go check out some good music, and you can do that by checking out the Captain's music at captainfathands.com or Go to truecrimegarage.com and click on the captain's anchor. Anchors away there, Captain. I also have a comedy CD coming out. It's called I Have a Lot of Jokes, but I don't know if my co-host is listening. All right, join us back here in the garage next week. Until then, be good, be kind, and don't litter. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's OMRI certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow.